Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 92 of the Lawyerist Podcast, where we talk with Susan Garcia Nofi about video games, photo novellas, and access to justice. Today's podcast is sponsored by Zero, beautiful legal accounting simplified. Find out more at zero.com. That's X E R O.com. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Ruby Receptionists. Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, so we don't have to worry about getting interrupted when we're being productive, and we think they are awesome. Visit callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. So Aaron, usually we kind of pick a random subject in the news and discuss it at the launch of our podcast episode for the week, but uh, I thought it might be interesting today to kind of tee up the interview by talking about a little bit of background information. So today we're interviewing Susan Garcia Nofi, who is the current executive director of New Haven Legal Aid in Connecticut, and they're doing some really cool stuff with their self-help website. And you're going to hear all about that with her. But as I was talking with her, I was thinking about the access to justice gap or gaps and the number of different numbers that get thrown out there and ways that people talk about it. And so I thought it might be helpful to clarify, like in her case, uh, where we're talking about legal aid, there's a very well-defined number and gap and need. And it's not the same thing that we talk about when we're talking about you know, like all the opportunities to make money by, you know, changing the way we package services. Yeah, I, I remember you were at a conference a few weeks ago and tweeted that one of the speakers had mentioned the corporate access to justice gap. Oh, God, yeah. And that is not that is not <laughs> what we're talking about here. That, that was an access to justice gap I wasn't even aware of before I heard that. Sure, there's a corporate access to justice gap, why not? <laughs> I guess, whatever that means. At some, at some point, these terms become meaningless. I'm hopeful in the context of today's interview, that is absolutely not the case. No, and, and so, like, there's this sort of middle market, and people often say 80% of the legal need goes unmet. And what they're almost always talking about when they say that is this legal services corporation study that is probably getting a little bit long in the tooth, but was a well-done study that shows that about 80% of the people who qualify for legal aid and have a legal problem that that legal aid could help with, nevertheless get turned away, mostly because of a lack of resources. Now, that that isn't the same number we're talking about, um, although people use that number, when we're talking about the gap between people who can qualify for legal aid and get service and the and the people who can afford legal services, right? We talk about this middle income market that can't afford a lawyer. If you hear people describe that with an 80% number, then it's probably just wrong. They're just using the wrong number. But when it comes to what Susan Garcia Nofi is doing and what legal aid is doing, there's a very well-defined and enormous gap between those that legal aid does serve and um, those who qualify for services. And so that's where their website comes in and they're trying to figure out how to get legal help to that gap. She she says a really interesting thing, which I think is worth repeating and highlighting. And it's that we can't get a lawyer to everybody, but if we can't get them a lawyer, we want to give them as good of legal services that they can, right? Self-help is not a substitute, but we want to make it as good as we can because they don't really have an alternative. 
And so that's, I think, the kind of the backdrop. There is a huge need, and that's what they're trying to do with it. I cannot wait to hear how video games are the solution to that. I'm sure they are. I, I <laughs> want to understand how. They are a partial solution, and so are photo novellas and some other really clever things. So here is my conversation with Susan. I'm Susan Garcia-Nofi. I'm the Executive Director of New Haven Legal Assistance in New Haven, Connecticut, and we house ctlawhelp.org. Thanks for joining us, Susan. And uh, I want to talk about ctlawhelp.org and some of the projects that are attached to that. But it comes from a need, and I I feel like we can not really talk about the need too much. Um, Do you have any idea how many people needed the help that you are now providing through the website or trying to? Sure. Most of the, the studies that have been done in other states and nationally put uh, the need at about 80%. The 80% of the people who have civil legal needs and can't, can't afford a lawyer are, are not getting any help at all. Um, and we're sort of a typical civil legal aid office. We have a lot of people coming to us for help, and um, and, and we struggle with that, just like all civil legal aid providers do. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that 80% number, it totally, when it comes to legal aid, that's where it comes from. I hear it a lot when it comes to like people who um, can't afford a lawyer but don't qualify for legal aid, and I'm not sure that is looped in, but but like 80% of people who qualify for legal aid are getting turned away because there aren't enough resources to serve them, which boggles the mind, really. Yeah, yeah, and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's rough. <laughs> so, if we have, for years the Legal Aid Network in Connecticut, and there's there are a number of, of providers working together, we've provided self-help materials because uh, it's, it's not as good as having a lawyer, but it's better than just saying, sorry, we can't help you and not giving people any information. Um, so, for years, we've had, um, we've had, you know, pamphlets and booklets, and then, uh, in, and we've, you know, as websites came about, we put them online, uh, which were mostly just links to PDFs. Um, but then in 2010, the Connecticut Bar Foundation uh, decided to make an investment in a statewide website um, with help from the Legal Services Corporation's Technology Initiative Grants Program, which has supported websites like CT Law Help um, throughout the country. And, um, and that has just taken off. Um, that was only in 2010. Uh, we're projecting by the end of the year, we'll probably have over uh, 2,250,000 um, sessions. So the wow. site's getting uh, getting a lot of usage and it grows every year. How does that compare to the number of clients you are able to actually serve in a traditional way? It's much, much larger. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have the numbers on hand? Like, uh, is it in the thousands or the tens of thousands of clients that that actually get served through legal aid there? You know, I don't have, because my program serves, I can tell you what our numbers are, but we serve just one region in the state. So, um, so I apologize, I don't have the statewide numbers off the top of my head. And oh, no, of course, that's there's fine. different levels of service as well. We're, we, for the most part, for our clients, we're, we're giving them full representation that mm-hmm. we have, you know, a sister organization that's, uh, that's hotline and, you know, gives uh, more advice and brief service. So, um, so we give, we give what we can, but I can tell you that that's a, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, but. Larger number, um, then. So, so you get some funding and then you decide, uh, how do you decide what you want to do? Well, the first step was getting the website up and taking our, um, taking our 
written print content um, and offering it on the web in a way that it was accessible and usable by people. And there had been um, already some work on putting things into plain language. I'm a little embarrassed now when I look back at how we used to write things as lawyers and expected people to understand what that meant. Um, so they, we'd begun a process of simplifying and putting information into plain language. And we hired um, a terrific um, person to, she's now called our publications manager, um, but she um, she runs the website and is in charge of the content on the website. Her name is Kate Frank. And um, and aside from being very talented at things like search engine optimization and, and being able to shoot videos and photography, and, you know, she's great with plain language. She has an editorial background. Um, she's not a lawyer, which was really helpful because <laughs> yeah. she she immediately started saying things like, yeah, you know, people call themselves renters, not tenants. You know, <laughs> so it was an it was an eye opener for us. <laughs> so that was the first step. So it was sort of getting the um, getting it up there, and then once we had the website going, the thought process was, you know, how can we make it a little more engaging because it was so text heavy. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you've done a bunch of cool stuff, actually. Well, why don't you just tell me about some of them? Let's start, pick pick your favorite one and let's start, let's talk about how it came about and, and what it's all about. Sure. Um, I guess chronologically, one of the earlier ones we did um, was a photonovella project. We, Kate and I had seen some samples of how that had been used. A photonovella is sort of like a comic book, but with mm-hmm. photographs instead of um, drawings. And then people are speaking in thought bubbles. And so the idea was to... Um, make these and what we ended up doing was making them into videos with a voiceover behind it but then um, it's also a printable PDF so they could work as pamphlets as well and we had seen samples of this um, style used in um, public health education and so that seemed like a maybe like a less text heavy simpler way to get some ideas across so we made a proposal um, to the Legal Services Corporation's Technology Initiative Grants Program um, with our uh, sister organization Organization, statewide Legal Services of Connecticut, and um, and they uh, because they're the the grantee from the Legal Services Corporation, um, they're really the ones who um, who manage um, these projects um, and these grants, and so uh, and they liked it, so we, and they gave us some funding to do it, so um, so we did a series of them, and one thing that. Uh, the TIG program does really well as they encourage people to do projects that are replicable and that could mm-hmm. be used across jurisdictions. So it's it's not an accident that a lot of the topics we covered were federal law topics where you're not going to find a huge amount of variation from, you know, it's going to be the same um, nationally. And then uh, we were able to customize some things. For example, um, you know, FMLA, obviously we have state FMLA laws as well. So can another state legal aid organization just grab that and put it on their website with a little bit of editing then? Yes. And Many have. Very cool. And we've offered them in other languages as well. It oh. has been uh, because of the thought bubbles and the um, and the voiceover behind the video. It was easier to to redo it in another language. So you didn't mm-hmm. have to reshoot a bunch of video. So how do you gauge the success of that? I mean, page views or video views or or how do you how do you know it's having an impact? Um, that is really what we go on. Um, I think with all of these things, that's sort of the million dollar question, right? Like, I would love to know if somebody relied on this, what actually happened in real life with their case. I mean, we do some, we obviously, when we're doing these projects, we do um, some user testing and mm-hmm. we do evaluations. Um, but it'll, you know, I, there, there haven't been a lot of studies. I think that's sort of the next phase that, um, that folks are working on now is trying to do like, you know, real solid studies on what, you know, 
what difference does it make to the outcome? You know, I, I'm on a board of a legal aid organization um, that does landlord-tenant work. And that's one of the things that we've been trying to figure out too is like, how do you actually track outcomes when you're delivering services through your website, both because you want to know, but also because your funders want to know. And that's one of the ways that you can, uh, you know, support your grant applications is by saying that, hey, we actually did something and, and page views and downloads work, but they're, um, you want more. So, uh, is, have you not been able to grab more information yet and you're just going with what you have or are you, do you have some ideas for what you want to do? Um, we've done, we've done follow-up, you know, we, we've done, we do evaluation afterward. Um, but I would say what I'm aware of and what I think that with one of this year's projects, part of the funding included, um, funding to have, you know, cause we're not evaluators, you know, we do mm-hmm. the best we can. Um, but I think there are people that, that actually study this stuff and should be studying this stuff. So, um, so one of our projects for the upcoming year, there's some funding in there to do an evaluation piece. Um, the Michigan legal help website, uh, had, that sort of type of evaluation done on um, on whether it helped self-represented litigants navigate the divorce process, mm-hmm. and um, and when they followed up with you know with the group they had studied, seventy four percent using the website got the divorce decree, and the um, and the study concluded that the process took less time than self represented litigants who did not use the website. So that was sort of good news for yeah. for those of us who do th- that kind of work. Um, and then uh, I just uh, was speaking to um, Jim Greiner at Harvard Law School this week, and he uh, called my attention to an article um, that came out this year uh, that he co-authored with um, Dalia Jimenez at UConn Law School. Um, and it was really uh, all about self-help materials. And uh, and it was... I. I, reading it, I felt good because things that I, we had sort of intu- intuitively thought to be true about how well things get deployed and, and sort of the, um, you know, what you need to do to get through to hope folks to be able to um, enable them to use these tools, um, you know, were highlighted in there. And he's he's known for doing some of uh, the handful of randomized studies that have been done on legal, legal aid generally. And so, um, so I was, I'm really interested to see now this focus, um, on the self-help materials because we all, we all do it because we all intuitively yeah. feel like it's better than nothing and it's got to help. But, um, but I, I'm really curious to see the outcomes of kind of more rigorous clinical trials so we can learn what works and what doesn't. Very cool. So another one of the tools you have, which, um, I actually experienced earlier today, uh, I was just sort of Googling, uh, around you and the website to see what kind of stuff pops up. And I landed on the family, the FMLA page page and after a few seconds a little can we help you box pops up um which i assume and and it says that you seem to be interested in issues around family and medical leave act which uh so it's a little bit customized is that your triage tool to try and get people where they need to go before they get frustrated and leave it is that was another project funded by the um by the legal services corporation grant to statewide legal services of connecticut and something we did with um, a couple of other new england states and then we customized it for our own jurisdiction um there was um there was a, we have a lot of information on our site, which is great, but it can be overwhelming. And uh, we know that most people are coming into the site because they do um, Google searches and they land there, but they could be landing on our site and maybe they're really from another state and they mm-hmm. should be going to their state's legal aid website because it's a different jurisdiction. Or maybe they shouldn't be told to call legal aid because really they would be over income for us and they should be told to call you know, um, the lawyer referral service. So we wanted something that would 
kind of sort people out and, and point them in the right direction. So this is a behind the scenes. It's programmed with a, a series of questions. There's a logic tree. So depending on what the legal, person's legal problem is, it'll ask a series of questions, and those are all vetted with legal aid lawyers. And um, it also asks questions about their income and where they live, um, which they can answer or not. But mm-hmm. it, you know, answering those questions will at the end of that. I don't know if you followed it out to the end, but it produces a you know, sort of a, a little customized page of these are the resources you should be looking at. Here are the places uh-huh. you can call for help. What's the software that you use on the back end of that? So I'll have to confess here that I am I don't I hear you <laughs> talk on the podcast all the time about lawyers who code. I'm not one of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, it's a, it's a Drupal. Um, the website is uh, it's Drupal. It's open source. That's another thing that's you know in the in the legal aid community um, mm-hmm. that there's it facilitates a lot of sharing and um, and so I know on that project we uh, we had a um, you know a coder in Maine who 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 created it with so we them. could probably go track it down and see what what's functioning on the back end. That's mm-hmm. cool. Where I actually landed when I was doing it, um, I, I think I got distracted and got out of the triage tool by something else. Um, but I landed on a video game yes. about representing myself in court, which um, I didn't get a chance to play. But that strikes me as a really interesting opportunity because when I do, um, I, I, I help out at the self-help desk at the court uh, every couple of months. And um, the people who come with their questions are almost universally, one of their problems is they just don't even know how to represent themselves. I mean, they have legal questions, but often underlying it is, I don't even know what to do in this building. Um, and it, is that kind of the target there is to try to get people to figure out how to actually comport themselves and get through the process of representing themselves? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we we had this idea because a lot of our efforts had been focused on helping people get to court, getting the right papers, getting them filled out, getting them filed, getting them served. And then people were kind of on their own once they got to court. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we... Um, we connected with uh, New Law Lab at Northeastern um, University um, who, who wanted to work on this project with us and lucky for us, they also at Northeastern have a um, have a game design department. And so there's uh, Dr. Casper Hartfelt, who, you know, who had who had done other um, sort of educational games um, was interested in the project. So that just once we got together and started talking, it kind of went from there. And we'd been looking at a, there was a study that was done in 2013 that had just come out when we were starting this project by uh, Dr. Julie McFarlane in Canada. And she had, they had surveyed many, many, many self-represented litigants. And it's sort of heartbreaking reading the study because the, the one thing that kept coming across was just the level of, you know, I can't think of a better word than trauma, you know, by people, you know, going into court on their own. So, so we thought, okay, you know, video game, it may sound a little silly, but maybe that's good to have something that's a little um, familiar and a little fun. If, dare I say it's, you know, people are going to court for serious matters, but something to sort of demystify the process a little bit. Um, so that was where we started with. And then, um, and then our partners at New Law Lab, really emphasized, and, and this went into the proposal, was to do a co-design process where we would actually bring in people who work on the front lines um, in the courthouse, in the law libraries, in the centers that help self-represented parties and um, and self-represented parties themselves, and they would help us co-design the game. We wouldn't have a uh, preconceived notion. And that was a real eye-opener for me because I, I think initially I thought we were going to teach people how to, you know, I don't cross-examine a witness and, you know, but, um, but, but we learned through that process that people really were, um, very, uh, intimidated, um, 
Yeah. Which is going into court. There's this feeling that everybody knows each other and the they lawyers are all even. talking to each other. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. One of the testing sessions we had when the first um, you know, version was was done. Um, one of the testers said, you know, that she what she liked about it was it was almost like an etiquette lesson. She said she compared it to going to a restaurant when you don't know which little fork you're supposed to use for each course, you know, and that it was sure. like that really basic stuff. So I've, I always told my clients that I'm like. Uh, it's like they're visiting China and they don't speak. I mean, unless they're Chinese, but they're. We're, let's say we're visiting China and they don't speak the language. They don't understand the customs. My job as the lawyer is to be their tour guide. But if you don't have a lawyer, you need something else. Exactly. And uh, and I think, you know, being a lawyer, I was very focused on, well, we have to help people when they get in the courtroom. But there's a lot that happens before you get to the courtroom. And so a lot of the game focuses on that. We found that the the hallway area was a big um, anxiety point for people because that's when, you know, maybe the the landlord's attorney is going to come up to you and say, Hey, look, we'll be waiting forever to get in there. Why don't we just write up a little agreement, you know, or they're sitting next to some other nervous person who is telling them information that may or may not be correct. So we focus part of the game on that. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, that all makes a ton of sense to me. So we have to take two minutes to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to talk about the online classes that you've put together and talk about what's next and then some of the issues around funding, which we've been talking about, um, but I think is worth spending a little time on. Billable hours are the lifeblood of a successful law practice. Problem is you still have to bill those hours. Even if your law firm has an accountant, tracking hours, clients, rates, preparing invoices, and collecting on those invoices is time you never get paid for, and writing notes to yourself in court or on the road is inefficient and error-prone. Run your legal practice better with cloud accounting software and see why over 600,000 small businesses love Zero, including Lawyerist. Get a free trial at Zero.com. that's X-E-R-O dot com, beautiful accounting software. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone, which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com slash lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. And we're back. And so you've also put together some online classes. And in a way, some of the things we've already talked about are educational, the photo novellas, the video game. Um, but tell me about the classes. Sure. The idea for the classes came because what we were finding is that people often, when we were getting feedback, they wanted um, a little more hand-holding. Um, we, you know, as much as we tried to really simplify our, our articles and our booklets telling people, you know, these are the steps you need to take, um, it wasn't so easy. Our, our you know, cases that we wouldn't take as we say, well, it's relatively simple, you know, go to small claims and get your security deposit back. It's like a 14 page booklet. And then they have to read another booklet. You know, what's the last security deposit law? Have you, have you ever heard of the drawing the owl? 
No, no. <laughs> it's 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 a programmer joke, but it there it's like a uh, you know an old how to draw things uh, tutorial, and the first picture is like you draw an oval, and the section and the second step is draw the fucking owl, and it's a picture of a fully drawn beautiful sketch of an owl. And we sometimes, but that's that's kind of how lawyers talk to clients about how court works. Oh yeah, just go to court and get your security deposit back. Yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. That's I, I have a colleague here who who does a lot of. Um, wage theft work, you know, suing employers who haven't paid their employees. And mm-hmm. and for whatever, I remember, this goes back a few years, for whatever reason, I think because the amount was so small, he decided it made more sense to just file in small claims court, which we don't spend very much time in right. small claims court. And he looked at me and said, this is really complicated, which was hilarious because he, <laughs> he files huge lawsuits in federal court. <laughs> right. you know? so, um, we, we never experience court from the other end. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, that was the idea. The first part of the project, we worked with a great program. Kate worked with a great programmer who who got it set up, and um, we kind of broke everything down in steps and manageable chunks that you could check off. Um, there's some functionality in there to set it up to email yourself reminders if you want to. Nothing private is saved anywhere, but if you want to um, be able to pick up where you left off, you can create a login that will let you do that. Am I right? This is based on Callie's A to J author. Yeah, so the first, so we initially um, had this idea, and then our, our thought was like, it would be great if we could, you know, share what we've done with other states, because it would be so easy to swap in and out the parts that are a mm-hmm. little bit different from state to state, and we wanted to expand it. So that's when we started working with um, with Cali, and, uh, and who, which they're very known for the for A to J author, yeah. and in, in some of the classes, that is one of the steps where you, you, it takes you through. Um, so we uh, we talked to John Mayer, and he he really liked the idea. We'd we'd um, read the book, the the Checklist Manifesto, um, the the bestseller, and it really is you know it it, it it's very appealing the idea of like having manageable steps in a list that you yeah. that you go through. So um, so that was so. That got expanded to um, to learnthelaw.org, which is sort of a national repository for these classes. Any nonprofit legal aid organization for free can go on there and create their own classes. And one of the classes on there is a tutorial showing you how to do it. And um, it's sort of, you know, you provide the content, but the, the home for it is already there. Oh, very cool. And so uh, so anybody who's going to file in small claims court, or, or I assume there's other types of things that they can do, but... Um, if the video or the telenovelas weren't enough, they or photonovelas weren't enough, they can actually sort of be educated on the the more nuts and bolts of how the system works. Yeah, it'll take them through each each step of the process. Very cool. So, what's next for um, for CT Law Help or or for you or what what's what are the next projects on the back burner? Well. We're hoping to, we're planning to do a second iteration of the video game project, which is very exciting, and that's the one I referenced that'll have more of an evaluation piece. So mm-hmm. um, it'll be interesting to see uh, what we what we learn fr- from that, and um, and so we're looking forward to that. The other thing we're going to be focused on for the next year is um, is making the site um, we're, we're saying mobile first. Like any anything on the website really needs to be designed with the mobile user in mind. We had. Um, a volunteer researcher who's wonderful, who like really did a deep dive into our Google Analytics, and um, and he was able to glean some things about our our users. Like you said, it's hard to tell just from page views, you know, what what does that mean? But um, but he there's been, and this is not a surprise. This is consistent with national 
you know, findings, but um, our mobile users have gone way up, you know, as, as it's gotten mm-hmm. easier and easier for our clients to, um, to, to get smartphones. Um, that, that's the main way that people with lower income access the internet. Right. And, um, and he also found that um, th- there were very specific, um, you know, they tend to visit the site on a more regular basis. They were looking for very specific topics than desktop users. They, uh, their experience could really be improved because there, some pages take longer to load and, um, and we want to make sure we're delivering the content to people efficiently. Um, if we can't provide a lawyer to everyone who needs one, which I, would hope we could do someday, but that's <laughs> certainly not going to happen anytime soon. Um, you know, we want to be there in their in their hand when when they need us. We need well, the help. Well, right, so. because like a PDF is totally useless on a phone. Yes, right. Yes, you, you, need to, <laughs> you need to have a fancy new printer with AirPrint or Google Cloud Print enabled uh, in order to print something else, anything out, and fill it out. But then, how do you? I mean, it's it's a totally worthless exercise. Um, we we've talked about because. Um, at Homeline, uh, because I think we, this is something that we could probably figure out how to do. But um, the standard for our website, we wanted to be every. You should be able to do everything with a thumb, mm-hmm. um, and um, and you should be able to fill out a form, get a completed form, and email or mail it to your landlord all from your phone. And there are services that you can hook into that will let you mail things or and you know send certified emails and stuff. And that that's our that's at least my sort of big shot objective that I would like to get to someday because that's that would be amazing if you could actually let people use forms and mail things without having to somehow print them out from their phone, which really is impossible for many people. I think that is exactly the right vision. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So cool. Uh, tell me a little bit about how the, it sounds like you've gotten a few grants, um, technology grants from LSC, uh, but I know that we're going to have other people listening who are saying, hey, this all sounds neat. Where's the money? Um, so how would a legal aid organization or a small um, nonprofit uh, legal aid organization in particular go about getting funding, do you think? Right. Well, that's a perpetual struggle, right? As an executive <laughs> director of a legal aid program, I, could, I should have introduced myself by saying, I'm the person that tries to, you know, <laughs> do everything I can to keep the lights on and it's not easy, you know. Um, so I, we've been really fortunate in Connecticut and I think that this is why CT Law Help has really thrived is because um, our Bar Foundation, which is the primary um, funder of legal services, um, really believes in this. And they, they realize as they're watching, you know, um, need increase and available sources of funding, you know, not keeping pace with the need, they, um, you know, they, they get it. And so, um, so we're very fortunate in that they are supporting um, a, a full-time position, you know, and, and that we have Kate in place. Um, I think, you know, without that, we couldn't do it. We have various attorneys who all contribute in, in different ways, you know, with writing content and so forth, but you need someone to, um, to really spearhead that effort and, uh, and, so, um, so I think for the for the things the site has done and for the for the usage it gets, the the investment is. I mean, it's it's the return on investment is huge. But um, but we're lucky that we haven't had to convince anybody of that. And the, and the, you know, obviously we report back to them. Um, and so um, so that's our main source of funding is the Connecticut Bar Foundation. You know, every state has their own version of, of that. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, we've been fortunate to get through statewide legal services, the technology initiative grants. Um, and then we've had a, um, so a nice partnership with the Connecticut judicial branch. I think that's the key. You know, any place you're applying for funding, you know, obviously they want to see 
people not duplicating efforts, people working together. Um, and so, as you met, every single project I mentioned here, just about, you've noticed I've, we've had a significant partner like New Law Lab at Northeastern or, uh, you know, or Cali. Um, so, that really is a way to take, you know, what may not be a lot of funding and kind of, you know, I don't know, I feel like we can do more together. Um, so, that's been huge. And absolutely, um, cooperation and coordination with our judicial branch. And, you know, and I, I would hope in most states, seeing the numbers of self-represented parties, that this would be the case everywhere. But we're particularly lucky in Connecticut. We have a an advisory board for ctlawhelp.org, and we have representatives of the judicial branch who sit on that. And then um, Kate and I sit on the... Um, the uh, the committee that oversees the court systems website, so we always know what each other's doing, and we're sure. we're always coordinating and um, and collaborating. So partnerships are key then, and and buy in from your you know getting getting partnerships, getting buy in from your organization, from uh, from the bar, from the courts. That that all seems pretty important because then you've got a really strong case that we're not just going to do something; it's actually going to make a difference because we've got these other people who want it to succeed. Absolutely. Very cool. Thank you so much for being with us today, Susan, for giving us a preview of some of the really cool, innovative access to justice work you're doing. Um, where should people go if they want to find more, whether they're a nonprofit or a legal aid organization, or they just want to see how this stuff works? Um, where can they find out more about the projects you're doing and maybe find out more about adapting them for their own needs? They can go straight to ctlawhelp.org. Um, they can go to learnthelaw.org if they're interested in the classrooms. There's a lot of information there. And um, and I would also recommend checking out the Legal Services Corporation Technology Initiative Grants page uh, because they have, uh, you know, a lot of information about projects that have been done not just in Connecticut but in other states that um, that would be uh, great to, to replicate and expand um, for organizations that are interested. Very cool. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. To make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening.